It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. The Chiefs and Eagles will be duking it out for the Lombardi Trophy in Glendale on Sunday. What can the Seahawks learn from the top two teams in the NFL? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down in our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Joining me for a Wednesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in nearby Oregon, you're listening in Idaho, or you're overseas listening in France. We greatly appreciate you taking the time to make Lock on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're going to be talking some Super Bowl on today's show. What the Seahawks can learn from the Eagles and Chiefs, the two teams set to duke it out in Arizona for a Lombardi Trophy on Sunday. Plus, we'll be continuing our end-of-season report card, looking at the edge rusher group, and we'll be continuing our free agent primer, moving from running back yesterday to the defensive line with Puna Ford. Jam-packed episode your way, coming from Nissan. The only thing more exciting than the big game is the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. There's only four days left until the Super Bowl. Are you ready? The Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now for your lead story here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. With their season a little over a month from being concluded, the Seahawks will be observers like 30 other teams or 29 other teams when the Eagles and the Chiefs duke it out in Arizona for the Lombardi Trophy on Sunday. But this provides a great opportunity for all the teams that are not in the big game to take a step back, particularly the front office, and see what did these two teams excel at to get to the big game and what can we learn from these squads. And last year we did this with the Rams and the Bengals took some tips for the Seahawks to abide by. And while there's some similarities with the makeup of the Eagles and the Chiefs, it feels like these are much different teams that were constructed far differently by their general managers. And There's a lot of similarities between these two teams going into this big game. Yeah, there are a lot of similarities, Corey, but I think the, the biggest similarity between the two, besides the fact, obviously, that they both were incredibly consistent teams all season long, I think that they're the, the two best teams in the NFL, in, at least in my opinion. I, I predicted these two teams would be facing off in the Super Bowl. I, I think that the biggest similarity to, to both of them, um, and something that Seattle absolutely could kind of learn from, frankly, is just the focus on the line of scrimmage. Um, and, and that is, I think, something that kind of goes back to Andy Reid. Obviously, Andy Reid now is the head coach of Kansas City Chiefs, previously at Philadelphia. He was an offensive line coach years ago when he first made his way into the NFL, actually working with former Seahawks and hopefully someday future Hall of Fame head coach Mike Holmgren. And I think that Andy Reid's focus on the line of scrimmage, both offensive and defensive line, has 
stuck with the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that Nick Sirianni, a head coach, Howie Roseman, the general manager, they did a great job. I don't mean that they had to have these ideas from Andy Reid, but I think that he set that legacy. And I think that the Philadelphia Eagles just went and literally have run with it. Um, And the Kansas City Chiefs, on the other hand, they have built up their team. And obviously, a great deal of their success is incumbent on their superstar quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. But I think that you have to give, again, Andy Reid, general manager Brett Veach, uh, a, a great deal of credit as well. Because both of these clubs not only have won with their early draft picks and found themselves some absolute superstars along the way, but they've also nailed the late round picks as well. And that to me is one of the things that the Seahawks can feel really, really good about is because I don't know if there's a team in the league that has had the consistent day three success that the Seahawks have had. So while it may feel like, you know, the Seahawks are a ways away from competing at the Super Bowl. I don't necessarily think that that's the case. I think that this is a club that does have some of the tools in place uh, to be able to compete. They just have got a hit on another draft or two. If they can do what they did last year, I think the Seattle is going to be competing for a Super Bowl a lot sooner than some of those uh, prognosticators and naysayers out there might think. Yeah, looking at the trenches, the Seahawks are in the early stages of trying to build offensive and defensive lines that are comparable to the ones that the Kansas City Chiefs and Philadelphia Eagles have. And the Seahawks have some fun pieces. They're two rookie tackles, Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross. Boy, Mafe, I still think Daryl Taylor is a fun player for this team going into the final year of his contract. And they've got some young guys in the interior defensive line that may be back, maybe they won't be. We'll see what happens on that front. But they've got some of the pieces in place, but they aren't set across the board the way that these two teams are. And that requires another draft. That requires another offseason where hopefully you can find a few guys in free agency. And I think that's the thing that jumps out to me, not just with the offensive and defensive lines, but with their entire roster. Both of these teams, the front offices are fantastic and they are aggressive. And they've done a really good job adding premium talent impact players at key positions through trades and free agency just look at the Chiefs last year they traded for Orlando Brown and he has been a solidifying force at left tackle for them even though I don't think he was quite as good this year he still was a top 10 left tackle in the NFL and he's a young player that's going to keep getting better and everybody knows about the center Creed Humphrey who the Seahawks had a chance to draft and they went with D. Eskridge instead a couple picks later the Chiefs take Humphrey and he's an all-pro center in his second season in the NFL They have done a great job of adding impact players. And then you look at the defensive side of the ball, Frank Clark, who they get him from a few years back, the Seattle Seahawks trading him away. They signed Carlos Dunlap in free agency for peanuts. Nice depth addition for their team. And they've really done a nice job of adding quality talent on both sides of the ball. I think the Eagles have been even better when you're looking at free agency and trades. I mean, they get A.J. Brown from the Titans for a first-round pick this last year. They signed Javon Hargrave two years ago. He's become a double-digit sack defensive tackle for this elite defensive line that Philadelphia has. And they added Darius Slay a few years ago. This year they signed James Bradbury. They traded for uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, and he had a fantastic season with a boatload of interceptions. So Howie Roseman did a hell of a job adding pieces that way. And you look at both these rosters, Rob, and I know this probably excites you the most, but Both these teams have hit it out of the park drafting, and there are a lot of homegrown players on both of these rosters. 
No, there really are. And I, I love that you mentioned guys like, you know, Creed Humphrey, you know, the Seahawks fans are, are, are going to remember really well. Um, one of the guys that I was really excited for the Kansas City Chiefs to hit a home run on with a day three selection was actually the guard right next to him, right guard Trey Smith, who was sixth round pick, 21st overall in the sixth round. And I mentioned that specifically, Corbin, because this kid was an All-American at Tennessee. He was a, a first round or at minimum second round caliber player, but he had a very complicated injury concern, medical concern um, that the teams had to kind of, you know, basically just trust their own doctors or trust their gut, trust the athlete. Is he going to be able to hold up? Um, is he going to be able to make this team? Because it was so obvious what a good football player he was. Now I mentioned him because the Philadelphia Eagles did basically the exact same thing in a much earlier draft situation with Landon Dickerson, who I believe is playing the, the right guard position for the Eagles as well. He's kind of played left guard, right guard, even center back in his Alabama days. And in both cases, Corey, we're talking about absolutely spectacular football players that because of medical concerns drop them down the board a little bit so you use the word aggression there to describe both these two general managers and again that's one of the things i think that john schneider deserves some credit with now obviously some of the the, the aggressive trades and draft day decisions that the seahawks have made not all of them have panned out not all of them have panned out for the eagles and the chiefs as well but i think the one thing that you can see is that if you want to win a ring You've got to be willing to kind of go above and beyond and do some of those bold things. There's a lot of teams out there that year in and year out are going to compete for that eight and eight or nine and eight, I guess now in our 17 game uh, you know, schedule, that type of a record. But if you want to actually be competing for the Lombardi, then you do have to have the willingness to kind of, you know, go for that home run every now and then. So whether it be the free agent route, as you just explained, there are some absolute huge wins for both clubs, trades or just the draft in general, it's not just about nailing those first couple of picks. That's why I'm as excited as I might be for Seattle's two first round selections this year. I'm just excited about all those selections in the middle and late rounds where again, the Seahawks have had their most success and the Eagles and chiefs have proven that you can find superstar players, including along the offensive line and in the defensive line for that matter. Um, you can get them in a little bit more of a bargain basement price than necessarily having to invest top 10 picks over and over again. And just waiting for those guys to excel the way that we've seen, say the San Francisco 49ers with a Nick Bosa or the, you know, or previously with DeForest Buckner and guys like that, you don't have to build your, team with those kind of guys it's easier but if you do a great job of scouting evaluating players and then have the leadership in place then i think that you can build a team in that little bit more untraditional more aggressive route look no further than the chiefs they had 10 draft picks this last season and nine of those players played in at least 11 games they've got two starting quarters in corners including jalen watson who played at washington state a player that i know that you were very excited about in the pre-draft process he's become a solid starter for them as a rookie it's a very young defense nine of their 11 players on that defense were drafted by the kansas city chiefs and then on the flip side the Eagles offense, 10 of their 11 players away from A.J. Brown were drafted with their own draft picks. So, again, these teams have hit the ball out of the park in free agency with trades, but they still primarily were built with their own players through the draft. And so it feels like the Seahawks are in the early stages in a lot of these different phases, including building up the trenches. And that's why this offseason is going to be critical for them to close that gap with teams like the Chiefs and Eagles so they can compete 
for Super Bowls. Coming up next, we're going to continue our free agent primers, moving from the backfield to defensive tackle. We talked some about the defensive line on yesterday's show. We're going to go more specific with Puna Ford. Will he be back for a sixth season with the Seahawks? We'll break down his pending free agency coming up next on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Alderman Football GM. I'm really geeked out by our new spark, a new partner and sponsor of today's episode, the mobile game Alderman Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your franchise, well, your dream can come true, and this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for everything from hiring the right coaches and coordinators to trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency, and the draft, and all the ups and downs of the season all this in a challenging and realistic game world ultimate football gm is completely free and playable offline you can play on the go as you want and when you want to it's a blast even though my honolulu sharks continue to struggle our listeners should join in on the fun in their own league locked on seahawks listeners get a 100 free boost to their franchise when using the promo code locked on that's all caps in the game store again that's locked on in all caps so make sure to check it out today you can download the game by visiting ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app store that's ultimate-gm.com all the football gm start your dynasty today is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements maybe it's time for a rebuild or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the lombardi trophy Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. Whether it's your first time listening to Locked on Seahawks or you are a regular diehard listener, we greatly appreciate your support. It's time to continue our free agency primers. We kicked things off yesterday with Rashad Penny, the dynamic, often injured running back, discussing whether he's going to be back in Seattle Going to be looking at a player that's on a different end of the spectrum here. Wasn't a first-round pick like Rashad Penny. In fact, he didn't get drafted, and that was Puna Ford back in 2018, even though he was the defensive lineman of the year in the Big 12 because he was under six foot, undersized, did not hear his name called in the draft. The Seahawks signed him, and he has turned into one of their undrafted gems, and he's been extremely durable, too. He's only missed three games in the last four seasons combined, so he's consistently on the field. And up until this year, he had been one of Seattle's most consistent defensive players, but that changed this year, and I don't know if we can put a lot of that on Puna Ford. He was playing in a different scheme that I don't think accentuated his strengths very well, and he had a hard time adapting and that makes his free agency that much more complicated because at one for one thing, the Seahawks would love to have him back because he is one of their undrafted gems and he's been a popular player in the locker room. He does everything the right way. At the same time, uh, the production just simply was not there this past season. It's worth wondering if they can fit a round peg here into a square hole and make this work. Yeah, I think this is really one of the most fascinating decisions that the Seahawks have because, as we just talked about, uh, you know, Puna Ford is a homegrown player, undrafted free agent. I mean, and you you take a lot of pride as a scout in in evaluating 
finding a guy like this, bring him to your team. As you said, he was the big 12 defensive lineman of the year. This isn't some, you know, sleeper that nobody heard of. Uh, you know, he played for Texas Longhorns for crying out loud. Um, you know, but at the same time, as you said, he, he doesn't really fit into the defensive alignment that Seattle was using last season. I mean, he, signed a two-year deal a couple of years ago for basically $12.5 million. And this past season, Corbin, you know, it, it, he started 16 games and he collected a total of 35 tackles. Now, my Mount Tahoma math tells me that's basically two tackles a game for, you know, for $6 million. I mean, that, that just seems a little bit rich. And, you know, if you go to the websites like a spot rack and some of the other websites out there that kind of try to give you the, you know, financial prediction of what kind of contract that Puna Ford might be able to receive, they're suggesting that he might get upwards of 9 million per season. So kind of the opposite of what I think some Seahawks fans might expect. And again, you're not seeing much production. Why would he get a 50% raise? And yeah, that's exactly what I think may very well wind up happening here. And it it would just gall you as a scout or as a general manager to lose a good young football player who, again, as you acknowledge, is a really durable guy, a popular guy in, in your clubhouse, but at the same or in your locker room, I guess I should say. But at the same time, what are you trying to do here? You're trying to win a Super Bowl, not make you know be the most popular guy or, or just bringing good guys onto your team. You want to actually Get players that fit with what you believe is the system that you're going to use to compete. So I think if Seattle does bring back Puna Ford, then they either are going to go back to the more, a little bit more traditional 4-3 alignment that they used in the past. I think that that is a possibility. Um, or I think that there is a possibility that they're just going to talk to Puna Ford and be like, look, young man, you are very strong because there's no doubt that Puna Ford is a very strong man. I think that he can be successful in a 3-4 lineman. I just don't think he can be quite as successful in that scheme as he could being a penetrating three technique or sometimes sliding over and playing a little bit on the nose in a 4-3 alignment where he's, again, being asked to penetrate gaps rather than hold up at the point, uh, you know, at the point of attack against, you know, uh, you know, two gapping. And so I just don't think that his body frame fits that quite as well. Again, I think this is going to be a really complicated decision for the Seahawks. And that's the thing that I think that we also also have to remember. There's a possibility that Seattle wants to bring Puna Ford back, but he and his representatives are saying, look, you could potentially go elsewhere, get more money, and then perhaps get a second contract or a third contract, excuse me, after this one with the kind of numbers that you could produce in a system that fits you a little bit better. So again, I, I think this is going to be a fascinating one. I think that's one that the Seahawks have to have a, you know, a real kind of, come together and really discuss what they want to do at this position. Because if you do feel good about Puna Ford, you do bring him back, then that number five overall pick, you have a lot more flexibility with. I'm going to put on my positivity Pete hat here, my positivity Pete Carroll hat. And you look at the middle of the season when Quentin Jefferson, I believe was the lineman that mentioned this, that they kind of abandoned the read and react to gapping that you typically see in three fours. And they went to the more aggressive penetrating style that, quite frankly, better fit the personnel they had. And Puna Ford during their four-game winning streak had a bunch more pressures. He was much more active getting tackles. His run grades from Pro Football Focus went up substantially. He looked like the player we were used to seeing. But then most of the second half, his play tapered off again. When they were giving up boatload of rushing yards, one of the reasons it was happening is because he was struggling as a two-gapper and he was having issues with – 
executing run fits. And we had not seen that from Puna Ford in his first four NFL seasons. So a lot of that falls back on the scheme thing. And, and I agree with you. I think he's a player that can be better in a three, four with more experience, just giving him another full off season with the coaching staff for them to really coach him up. Look, this is what we need you to do. We're going to get you where we need you to be so that you can be effective doing this. If you believe that you can do that and you are willing to pay the price that it's going to cost to re-sign him, then that makes a lot of sense. But I think that you, you'd you be making a mistake if you went into this process 100% confident that you would be able to do that. And I hate saying that because I'm a big Puna Ford fan and I think in the right scheme that he can be a very effective football player. But I just look at how this last season played out. Rob, he was in the 60s out of 70 qualified defensive tackles for run stops. And he had been in the top 30 every year in his NFL career up to this point. He just was not making those impact plays that were considered failures for the offense. He didn't have the tackles for loss. He wasn't making the stops at the line of scrimmage that we're accustomed to seeing from him. He had his pressures go down by more than 10 compared to the season before. So his pass rushing was far worse overall, even though he had a career high in sacks. That You have to look at the entire picture, and he just was not as effective of a pass rusher. So I do have some reservations. How good of a player can he be in a system that clearly is playing against what he is best at? And that is using that quick first step and being explosive and penetrating gaps. And quite frankly, there have been a lot of fans that have been messaging me about this on social media saying, well, put him back at nose. He didn't play very well at the nose position in the few games they had him at that spot. One of his worst run defense grades this year, and I don't live by pro football focus grades, but you go back and watch the film, and he was getting physically bullied as the nose tackle in one of the starts where Al Woods wasn't playing. And so I don't know that that is the solution to this problem either. They would have to find a way to make him work as one of their three-tech or four-eye defensive tackles, and he's got the strength to do it. I just don't know that it's maximizing his skill set. So I do have concerns, even though it's just one season, it could easily be an aberration season. He could come back and be fantastic next year. But I do have some reservations about his ability to play up to his potential or even close to it in this scheme if they're going to stick with it. And that makes this a very tough decision whether or not you're going to bring him back. Yeah, I, again, I, I agree. You mentioned the pro football focus grades in the 60s, and 60s is actually the kind of the number that was popping in my head for a different reason. I think there's a 60-40 chance that Puna Ford walks. Uh, and that he is playing elsewhere next season. And again, it, it would make me sad as, as a follower of the Seahawks because I just love the idea, as we talked about in the last segment, with the way the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles built their teams with you know really hitting on their guys in the draft and retaining their guys, not letting your best young players leave. Um, but at the same time, as we just have been trying to explain, that I just don't know you're getting enough bang for your buck. You know, I, I made this argument a year ago, and I love the fact that the Seattle went against what I thought that they should do and re-sign Quandre Diggs. But a year ago, the Seahawks were coming off of a season in which their secondary, of course, uh, you know, at least for the first half of the season, was on a historically bad level. And so my argument was, if you already are forced to pay as much money as you are Jamal Adams, and if the secondary is that bad, then it doesn't make much sense to pay another guy a lot of money in that same defensive backfield. If the secondary is that bad, 
then you, I guess you got to fix it. And it, retaining the same players doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, the same thing here on the defensive line. If Seattle's run defense is as bad as the numbers say that they were. And then, it was. Yeah. Then, then how do you, how do you justify bringing back one of the, you know, one of the, the stars of that flop? You know, and again, I, I hate to suggest that Puna Ford and his ability is the one of the reasons for Seattle's struggles on run defense. As we talked about, it's you know more kind of fitting round holes and square pegs kind of a thing. But at the same time, again, I just really struggle with that, especially considering that this looks like a pretty decent free agent class of other defensive tackles available to you. So if you're going to justify using that $9 million on Puna Ford, maybe use that $9 million on a different defensive tackle, perhaps. Or again, going back to the draft, this is a pretty solid defensive tackle class. Uh, and we saw a bunch of guys at the Senior Bowl who, who really turned some heads. And of course, John Schneider was right there scouting amongst everybody. So I, that's why I think this is a fascinating one. I, I'm not so sure that I'm as going to be as bold as I said that I didn't think the Seattle should bring back Quandre Diggs. I think the Seattle should try to bring back Puna Ford. I just don't know they're going to be successful in doing so. Yeah, this really boils down to scheme above all else. If you are going to allow your defensive tackles to penetrate more and do more one-gapping and play more like the defense that Pete Carroll had prior to this last season, then I think it makes a lot of sense to bring back a 27-year-old who still has some untapped upside as a pass rusher. If you are going to be running this hybrid 3-4 and you want guys that really fit that two-gapping read-and-react system, I just don't know that Puna Ford's that guy. And I don't know if Puna Ford wants to be in a system like that because of the type of player he is. So his agent may be making references to other teams. Hey, this is a better chance for you to play to your strengths. And so uh, this truly is one of those 55th be leaning toward you, though. I do expect Seattle is going to be bullish on their scheme this next year. And they're going to try to make this 3-4 work with personnel that better fits it. I just don't know if they view uh, view Puna Ford as a player that is going to be part of that schematic and personnel fit moving forward. I guess we'll find out when free agency starts on March 15th. Coming up next, we're going to continue our end of season report card. We're going to stay on the defensive side of the football with the edges and outside linebackers. A season of inconsistency, but there were certainly some brilliant flashes as well. We'll look at Uchenna Nwosu in that group coming up next here on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks with the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. I like AJ Brown to snag a touchdown against the Chiefs with Prize Picks. It's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to six players and they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you against the projections available. And Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, whether it's the NFL, NBA, MLB, boxing, even disc golf. You can make your entries in 60 seconds or less. It's safe. And fast withdrawals currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. So download the Prize Picks app or go to PrizePicks.com and sign up to play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. Don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. This episode is also brought your way by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, then you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me and you want to eat healthier but don't want to compromise taste, 
then I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built Bar. Healthy is actually tasty with Built Bar. They're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. They're perfect for your New Year's resolution. 100% real chocolate, amazing flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how they pull it off every single time, but they managed to make incredibly Good tasting candy bar like protein bars with only 130 calories and four grams of sugar, a whopping 17 grams of protein as well. And now you don't have to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been telling you to order on built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. Head to Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section. You can get yourself a box of built bars, pick up a four bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate or coconut puffs. And if you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13 bar box with hit flavors, brownie batter, and churro. You can thank me later. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Moving from defensive tackle discussion, we've talked a lot about the interior defensive line the past couple of days, to the outside edge rushers. It's time to continue our end-of-season report card, and this was truly a group that was defined by highs and lows this year. A roller coaster for this group. Had plenty of injuries as well that certainly impacted their edge rushers, but there were major flashes of brilliance, and most notably, I think before we even get to the grade for this entire group, we have to acknowledge, once again, just how great of a signing Uchenna Nwosu was for John Schneider and the Seahawks. A Pro Bowl alternate, you could have made an argument that he should have been an actual Pro Bowl selection. He was dominant against the pass, dominant against the run, forcing fumbles, tackles for a loss, getting after the quarterback more than 60 pressures this year. I think if we're just basing this grade off of him, you're probably talking an A-minus range grade, a fantastic first season as the headliner for an edge-rushing group that, away from him, was marred by inconsistency and up-and-down performances. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, Uchenna Nuosu is the MVP of this group. Um, really, really excited about the upside that Daryl Taylor continues to flash, uh, you know, but it, my goodness, did it take a long time this past season. Uh, you know, excited about the, the the tiny flashes that we we saw from Boye Mafe. Um, you know, I, I really want to see him continue his development in terms of the use of his hands, in terms of locating the football, but in terms of his size and his strength, um, I really think that he projects to be a, a big time player for the CX, not this, the the quick twitch kind of edge rusher that uh, that Daryl Taylor can be. Certainly not the instinctive, um, consistent player that Nuosu proved to be. Um, but at the same time, I feel really good about Seattle's future moving forward with those three players in particular. And, you know, should Seattle get something out of a player like, uh, say, Alton Robinson, uh, you know, you know, to me, that that would make uh, this position that much greater. Um, you know, we were talking before about uh, the two teams that are in the Super Bowl. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles, and that's one of the things, again, I think is a huge difference between Seattle, uh, where Seattle is, and those other two clubs is that, you know, they their pass rushers just come in waves. They don't have one or two guys. They've got five or six or seven, you know, kind of guys. And, and so this is one of the positions in which I think that Seattle needs to kind of continue to get fortified because in times I thought last season, and I still can't believe that I'm saying this, I thought Bruce Urban was Seattle's best outside linebacker. And for that to be the case, obviously, I think that shows, one, Bruce Urban is still a heck of a football player, and two, Seattle, obviously, those peaks and valleys, 
that's where Bruce Irvin's kind of consistency, I think, allowed him to play as many snaps as it did. And while that was good for the Seahawks at times, it also was bad for the Seahawks' future because obviously that robbed opportunities for Daryl Taylor, for Boye Mafe, for any of the other young edge rushers on Seattle's roster to kind of, you know, get their teeth cut a little bit and really learn the pro game. And so I think that it was good for Seattle to bring Bruce Irving. You might remember Corbin. I mean, I was excited when, when they brought him back. I thought that he did add an element of toughness to it. I have no doubt that he was a huge factor in their sudden rise up on the defensive side of the ball um, over the second half of the season. But at the same time, again, I also think that you've got to acquire some good young talent of this position or build around what the young talent you already have. If you're going to continue to kind of get these later in their NFL career type of rushers, then you can't expect ever to be kind of competing for the ultimate prize at the end because it just doesn't happen very often that way. Well, you can bring in a player like Bruce Irvin on a championship team if that player is purely a rotational rusher. And he was starting a bunch of games. So, again, this is not knocking Bruce Irvin. I thought he did some really good things for the Seahawks. But as a 35-year-old that is way past his prime, he was just playing way more snaps than what he should have been for a team that only made the playoffs. And it did take some snaps away from those younger guys that have a chance to get better and really learn how to play the pro game. And so I think when you add all this stuff up together, Chenonuosu obviously was the elite performer of this group, but I think a C plus is just about right. This group was truly an average group when they were on, they were capable of getting after the quarterback when they weren't though, this is also a team pass rush in general, that they would go two or three games in a row where they just, everything dried up. And you can't win championships having those kind of prolonged stretches. And so you look at the team that they've got right now. There's a lot to like. Chita Nuosu, as I've talked about time and time again, was the complete package for the Seahawks this year. He was getting after quarterbacks. He was racking up pressures in bunches. Even when he wasn't getting sacks, he was doing damage. Very disruptive against the run. He created turnovers. He did everything you could have possibly hoped that he was going to do with the contract you gave him. He exceeded expectations, and he's still only 26, so he has room to continue getting better. Daryl Taylor ended the season on a tear with six and a half sacks in the last six games. That's the player that we thought we were going to see going into the season, and he just went AWOL the first eight games and really turned things around in the second half. Boy, Mafe had the third most run stops, according to Pro Football Focus, among rookies behind only number one overall pick Trayvon Walker and number two overall pick Aiden Hutchinson, and he was right behind him. So as a run defender, Boy Mafe was as good as it comes for this rookie class, and you feel like the pass rush is going to come to life if he just figures out the pass rushing plan and, quite frankly, gets more opportunities. Most of the snaps he was in, he was trying to defend the run, and he did a good job setting the edge. So you've got three players there that can be cornerstones for you, and yet there's still the inconsistency issues with the latter two. And then there's the question marks, who else is going to be stepping up in a rotation? Is Bruce Irvin going to be back next year? I don't think you can completely rule that out as a reserve. Uh, If they draft somebody early, maybe like a Will Anderson, that obviously would change everything. And Allen Robinson and Tyreek Smith, the rookie that didn't play at all this year. You're going to be getting both those guys back next season. Can they emerge as contributors for you? Just even as reserves, if they can chip in a handful of sacks for you, that is a big deal from a depth standpoint. So uh, this is a group that there's still a lot of youth. There's a lot of upside. And yet it also feels like a group because of how inconsistent they were and the fact they had to lean on a 35-year-old Bruce Irvin. You could still add another elite piece through the draft or even free agency or trade if you wanted to. 
You, you could. And with the exception of, of Bruce Urban, uh, you know, everybody else is re, is signed right now, currently under contract for next year. So again, this is a group that you basically already have in place. And if you have a, an opportunity to take, like, say, a Will Anderson, number five overall, or someone similar to that, sure. Uh, again, I mean, you, the way to win in the NFL is to quarterbacks and pass rushers. I mean, you have to have them in today's NFL. And, um, you know, Seattle, at least the pass rusher department, I think is good, but not great. And if we, you know, as, as to you as a former teacher and myself as a current teacher, we understand the idea that a C is supposed to mean average. And I think that Seattle's pass rush was a little bit better than average, but not a lot better. So I love the C plus grade. I think it's, it's very fair because I think that it reflects the entire group's inconsistent performance. Again, Boyamoff, or excuse me, Uchenna Nuosu was terrific, um, but there were some valleys there a, as well. Um, you know, he and Bruce Irvin, especially the two of them really were allowed to kind of just cut loose and freelance a little bit on the edges. So while they contributed some of Seattle's biggest sacks. They also contributed some of the biggest holes in the run defense at times as well, because they would loop outside and create some easy running lanes inside between the tackle and the guard. So I think that that's something that we have to kind of focus in on here. And I love that you mentioned Boye Mafe. That was a number I did not realize um, as far as how productive that he was in run defense. Again, to me, it just, uh, just, makes the point that much stronger that, that this young man deserves a little bit more playing opportunity. I'm really excited about his upside, but at the same time, again, he didn't provide much in terms of consistent pass rush when he was on the field. So again, as good as he was in one area, then he wasn't so good in other areas. So that's the point I'm trying to make here. I guess I'm fumbling around my words here. It, it felt like Seattle's outside linebacker group. There were some peaks and valleys. There are some specialists to this group. And I think that you are lacking a guy who is truly a dominant all-around player. No question about Nuosu was the closest that Seattle had to that. I think if you want to compete for Lombardi's over and over and over again, you've got to get one of those type of ace edge rushers. I think when you look at the way this group is constructed right now, you have a lot of redundancy in terms of body type. You've got a lot of guys are in that 245 to 255 range. They need to get an athletic outside player that has some girth to him, a 265, 270, 275 pound guy that can still drop back and coverage some, can rush the passer. And there are some guys like that in this draft class. We've talked Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, but there are some other ones that are in that 275 range that are going to check that box off. They need an outside backer that has a little bit more size. And then when you play in base four men front, which they still do sometimes, you can move that player to defensive end. He can handle himself just fine. Some of the smaller players, they have an outside linebacker that's questionable, including Daryl Taylor. So I think that that's what they're going to have to try to address. Now, obviously, if Will Anderson's available at five, you're going to take Will Anderson, even though he's not that body type. He is a dynamic player. But they should be looking for a bigger-bodied outside linebacker that can offer some different traits to complement the athletic rushers that they have a boatload of. And I think those players will be better if they have a bigger outside backer to complement them and, of course, a better interior line. That's going to have a domino effect. And so that's going to make this entire offseason interesting to see how Seattle handles this. Maybe they will add another player that that body type and they want their players to be in that range and just be super athletic. That's understandable. But you also want to have guys that can set the edge. And I think that was the biggest issue overall for this edge rushing group all season long, especially for Daryl Taylor, who 
was pretty poor against the run most of the season. That's the biggest reason he lost his starting job early in the year. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on all major podcast platforms, as well as five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, I'll be joined by Dallas Cooper. The two of us are going to play a bit of a game. We're going to move it from Friday to Thursday, and we're going to take a look at some free agents in the AFC North that could be of interest to the Seahawks as we head closer to the start of the new league year. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, and thanks for listening in. Go Hawks! Hey, Prime members! You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.